In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Sandra Duff, SVP of Strategy, Activation, and Operations at Jackman. Sandra, welcome. Hey, Bobby. Great to meet you. You too. You too. Uh, thanks for taking the time today and uh, you know giving some of your expertise to our to our listeners. My pleasure. Would love to learn about, before we you know uh, get started and, and pick your brain a little, would love to learn a little bit about Jackman. What does Jackman do? We're North America's leading customer engagement reinvention company. And for us, that means we really strive for a flawless customer experience. Our work is rooted in customer insight and really understanding the attitudes, behaviors, and reasons why consumers behave the way that they do. And once we understand that, we can help create a perfect experience for them according to the brand and how we want to win with that customer target. That's awesome. That's awesome. What kind of, uh, give us an example of maybe an experience that, that you help a uh, brand build. Yeah. Stables is one of our latest experiences um, here in Canada. We've uh, reinvented the office supply warehouse company. They're really all about working and learning. And, um, you know, if you think about their customer target, very functionally, it's something like uh, small business entrepreneurs and teachers and students. But we like to think about them as curious achievers. They're goal oriented. They're always willing to learn and think about the next new things. They're makers. They like to roll up their sleeves and actually dive into to something. And when you think about them that way, we're painting a very different picture of what they want in a retail experience versus a small business operator. So for us, there are some functional things that we need to deliver, of course, for that customer base. But when you think about the heart and soul of that customer and what they're looking for and how the brand can match their passion and meet their desire to be ongoing learning and ongoing achievement, that's something that paints a very different picture. You probably are uh, doing a bunch of things at Jackman, but what's what's kind of uh, your your day to day? What do you focus on? I like to work with executive teams that are really starting what we call activation phase. So once the strategy is set on paper, they're thinking about the milestones that they need to achieve in order to actually bring that strategy to life. Things like marketing campaigns, whether it is a physical footprint um, that they're looking to activate, how does that digital experience need to evolve? And so we've got a team within activation that helps work with the teams at retailers and brands to actually bring that to life. So we help them, you know, work alongside of them, inclusive of creative, which is also a lot of fun. I also lead HR and um, kind of more of the functional process stuff at Jackman around just all of the different recruitment and how we look at talent. Diversity is also on our minds these days. And so a lot of the internal operating functions around the business also ladders up to me. Makes sense. Makes sense. You have a you have a big role, probably <laughs> very busy. So thanks thanks again for taking the time to spend some some time with us here. You know, as we as we kind of think about the space, and you know, this this is of course changed during these COVID days. But what are some of the biggest changes that you see in, in customer behavior? 
You know, it's really interesting. We fielded a study, uh, we fielded four waves of studies, kind of the same study in four waves, my apologies. And it's really about just, you know, how consumers are thinking about what they're going to do and how they're thinking about choices that they're making. There's a couple of key themes that pop up, and I think everybody is aware of some of them, like safety. Like all of a sudden now, that's a big concern for everybody. Am I going to be safe if I'm going to a restaurant? You know, if I'm going to the store, do I have my mask? Like all of these things, you know, come to mind. But there's other things that are kind of really interesting to kind of dig into. One of them is around this idea of uh, self-sufficiency. And, you know, if you think about years ago, the big trend in retail was DIY and Home Depot really kind of captured that mindset. And everybody was kind of, you know, figuring out how to be a designer on their own, et cetera. But self-sufficiency is like DIY on steroids. People have had to really figure things out for themselves. How to set up your home office, how to cook dinner seven days a week and not go out. And so if you think about that as a trend, they've really taken on things that all of a sudden they may have outsourced or done differently. And it's really kind of, you know, created this real interesting space for people. I think it may be one of the trends we we think might actually stick around because people have realized that I can do this stuff and they're making choices differently as a result of that. So I think that that's really interesting in what we're seeing in the space. The other thing we're seeing, of course, is like the drive to digital is like through the roof. What I see is it's just, it's also, they're using it in different ways and not the typical e-com perspective. Like, I think that's, of course, just amplified. But I, you know, when I think about just how some retailers that are really small have now started to do things like delivery on their own without a third-party service, or I just think that's so interesting. Um, That's really been prevalent in something we've seen in grocery. And when you think about if this is a small mom and pop shop and they can figure that out, it's going to really kind of accelerate the pace of digital throughout retail as a whole. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, You know, coming out of, uh, you know, hopefully coming out of this in in the next, you know, maybe few months or or so, uh, what do you think? Do you, how much of this do you think sticks? And I know you said, you know, you think a, probably a larger portion will stick, but how, how much of it sticks and, and how much of it do you think kind of goes back to, I guess, the old normal, I'll call it? Yeah, I think there's this like, it's funny, it goes in waves, right? Everybody's like locked down and then you get a sense of like things are picking up and gosh, like I really want to dine out at a restaurant or gosh, I really want to go to a, my favorite store and have some retail therapy and touch and feel something. And so I think there's going to be stuff that comes back. I think it's going to take time. I do think that there are some things around choice that are going to stay. I think if you think about just the different options for retail and delivery and fulfillment, I think that's going to stay. Like, I think the expectation is you need a physical store, you need curbside pickup, you need to be able to have it delivered. I think like that's like we've opened Pandora's box here. And it's just, that's going to stay. I think people will continue to do discovery online and decide when they want to indulge in retail therapy and browsing and discovery in person. And they'll make choices on that. And I think it'll depend for different people what, what their value is. You know, for me, it may be jewelry. For my husband, it may be um, home improvement. And so I think that's going to, to stay. But I think the other thing that's really been interesting that's good, that's going to stick is this idea of there's a fast pace of innovation that's happened here, both in retail, 
Food service has also been really affected. And I think there's, we're going to keep expecting this pace of innovation. We're going to keep expecting like bigger, better, figure it out, you know, deliver it to me, make it easy for me to interact with AI online. There's some things that we're just, we've become very accustomed to all of a sudden doing that we maybe weren't accustomed to, to trying or, it was like optional before. And I think now we're just that pace and that expectation is still going to be there. Do you think the, like you were talking about how we think some of the, you know, the curbside delivery, that that type of technology and like process is going to stick. Do we think that's going to stick at the same levels? Do we think that's going to go back down a little bit, but still be kind of more, more prominent than before? What, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it'll still be there. I think it will probably drop off a little bit. You'll see more people going in store. But I think the expectation is that that should still be an option and you should figure out how to do it better and do it more seamlessly. I think we're all, we've all been super forgiving for retailers on figuring out how to do the scrappy version and to get it up and running. And we appreciated that. And it's, you know, we've kind of given them the pass for 2020. I think for 2021, it's figure out how to build the ecosystem around that figure out how to kind of really professionalize that that expectation. And, you know, I think we're going to see things in waves. We're going to see curbside delivery or sorry, curbside pickup and delivery maybe at peak seasons really go through the roof. When you really just your time crunched holiday season, that's when you're going to see some, you know, big things happening there. And then it might taper off. And I think just from an operational perspective, retailers need to figure out how to make that happen and how to solve for that. Makes sense. Makes sense. And as you're, as you're going through this with a, uh, a particular retailer, just kind of changes that they've probably seen in, in, in the business. And, they, and I think your point, a lot of the stuff we would have seen, this innovation we would have seen anyways, it just got accelerated. So as they're thinking about this, how are some of, like, what are approaches that you take or your, you know, Jackman takes and being able to analyze like what, what to do next? How do I help this retailer? There's a couple of things that are the primary filters for us or what the customer is looking for. Like that's always like number one, right? What are they looking for? Number two is, you know, what's our promise to them? What's our anchoring vision? And then I think, you know, for us, it's really around testing. We're very uh, big advocates of trying to kind of, we call it first fast steps, really trying to innovate and bring kind of, let's test out. Is that insight? Is that customer really looking for that? And let's test it out in a smaller way. Let's pick one market. Let's do something and see what's working. I think it's really hard when you're building big systems and you're making big shifts, unless you have some early learnings on things that are working, it's really hard to invest all of those dollars. There's so much that is on the plate of retailers these days that it really requires us to think about what are we going to go after and what's the bite-sized version of that in order to get that started. That's kind of our starting point. And I think there's some things that 2020 has made table stakes. So we always used to say price is table stakes or delivery options are now table stakes. It's no longer defining, you know, Amazon has been the great equalizer during the pandemic. It's just like our expectation now is like, I ordered it. Where is it? So, you know, there's things that are just, you know, moving to just like you need to foundationally get these things right. And it's really around what is that unique experience you're bringing to the customer that you need to really kind of continue to hone and sharpen. Makes sense. Makes sense. For smaller retailers or brick and mortar operators that, you know, maybe don't have the resources of of the larger companies, any advice you can give them on how to how to think about this? Is it the same advice that you that you just gave, or is it is it different for kind of smaller operators in your mind? I actually think it's 
might be easier for smaller operators in the sense that there's a freedom there. And what's been really interesting to see is also the flourish, like kind of this flourish of uh, local, the way that they take to platforms like Instagram and TikTok, the way that they can all of a sudden showcase a new item on their store. We're open till six, come see us. They have a lot of freedom. And I think a lot of that is also built around the the entrepreneur that's leading that charge and um, the personality of the business and this idea of this is not a big brand name, but this is, you know, somebody's store and they've just started this. And, you know, whether you're a florist, whether you're a home goods purveyor, candle shop, et cetera there's an opportunity to really kind of create dialogue. And I think the other thing is immediacy. There is kind of an intimacy and this kind of immediate nature. You know, I bought rustic planters from a local person that I saw in somebody's feed that they featured, clicked through, they were tagged, bought it online over Instagram, and then had it delivered. And it's just like totally seamless, local delivery person, local supplier, handmade. It's just, I feel like there's, people are much more open as consumers. And I think also there's an opportunity here to kind of create a real local story. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Different operators are kind of navigating through these waters. You have to think that each each experience is, is going to be a little bit different. I think one of the things that and talking to a lot of operators that there's an, a little bit of an epiphany in the sense that although, you know, there's so much bad that came out of, you know, COVID, I, I guess the one good thing is honing in and using data that you learn about, you know, people shopping habits online to be able to really inform your in-store process, right? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of information that you can glean from just how people are browsing, shopping. And when they get to the store, you have a much more well-informed consumer, I think the role of staff needs to change. I think it was a little bit scripted the way that they were before. And I think people are coming in for different reasons now. And you actually need to teach the associate how to kind of interpret what their needs are and ask really good questions in order to be able to assist them. So I think that, you know, also what's interesting is like once they've come in, it's that post-purchase cycle. Um, We tend not to pay attention to that. And I think what's happened as marketers also is we've used the same blunt instrument of retargeting. You know, it just kind of continues on that loop. And even if you've made the purchase, you're still being retargeted the same way as if you had left the shopping bag empty, but I've now made the purchase in store. So I think we just need to think through that piece um, and say, you know, what is the right way to close that loop and create a fan for life or a customer for life? So those are the things that we're thinking about is just, you know, how to kind of make that loop a bit more connected and also how to give the role of staff at your store a better role within the space of all this technology and within the space of all the data that we have. How much do you think uh, you know, personalization matters uh, going forward? Like personalization in the sense of, you know, I, I know the same person comes into the store, me being able to greet them uh, and go down that path. There, there's some talks about, hey, that's the next phase of, you know, building kind of an experience in store. Is that, is that do you see that as important or is it still too early to think about that? always been a little bit important. I think that there's customers who really value that. There's a type of target that really wants to feel a sense of community and connection. I think of brands that do this really well, like Nike and Lululemon, you know, they're really great at creating a community, a sense of community there. 
And I think that that's always going to continue. I think the expectation though is going to be beyond just knowing my name. I think the expectation is like, if you think about luxury, they do this really well, this idea of clienteling. I think, you know, there's something there that's going to be interesting to explore in on mass for retail in terms of how do we really think about curating your customer experience um, based on your needs um, or your desires or your style. And so creating that connection then becomes super powerful. And I think that there's some great brands that do that today and how they do that. It just tends to usually be an Uber luxury experience. And how do, how do we translate that down to mass retail? And I know you work with a lot of great brands, but what's, what's one of your like personal, you know, favorite kind of in-store experiences? One of my local favorites, I don't think you have it in the U.S., is called Sage. They are a natural um, essential oils, diffusers, personal care experience. It's super sensory. What they do really well is like there's an aura of calmness or zen when you walk in the store. Of course, it's really sensory in terms of the scents and essential oils. There's a lot of trial. And the way that they've set it up is also... um, really nice because you're able, this is pre-COVID, post-COVID, it's a little bit safer in terms of how they handle some of these things with disinfectants, et cetera. But, you know, there's a wash basin to wash your hands and, and all of that good stuff. But it's really around being able to really experience the product and everything is accessible. And so, but it is very much around seasonal discovery and kind of, you know, shopping by not just type of product, but kind of benefit and so that's really um, something that's kind of my personal favorite. I also really like local retail. I think that when you own a local shop um, and you know you're under ten stores, I think you're able to tell a really interesting story in how you curate your product. And I think what's really exciting about that is the quicker turns that you're able to do in order to kind of set the store up. I find that in mass retailers, we've become very programmed to we only turn x number of weeks at a time and it becomes not as much about the discovery and i think just the way we've seen the acceleration of technology we're going to need to accelerate how we change up that in-store experience as well so there's you know sage is like my number one and i would say you know a local whether it's apparel or local home studio will be my second favorite yeah and, and talking about sage in particular what are some of like, and I think you explained it, like that's a total experience. I want to go experience it based on how you were explaining it. But, but what are some some key takeaways for other retailers as they learn, you know, how the sages of the world really build great experiences? Yeah, I think in number one is you're walking into a space that's fully branded, like not branded in the sense of logos, but branded in the sense of like, you know, it's all about home wellness. And so you know, personal wellness. And when you walk in, they've set that tone. So that's number one is like, what's the tone that you're setting for your brand? I think number two is these associates are super knowledgeable and that's really important. You know, they can guide you through, but I can touch and feel all of the product and it's not, it's certainly kind of encouraged the way that they've set that up. And I think the other thing is that it is very sensory. Like it is very much, you know, when you walk into, if you're walking into a Nike, it's the music, it's the energy. And so I think you need to think of all of the senses. Where's your eye going to, you know, for them it's scent, scent is central. And, you know, how do we, how do we set that up? Um, So I think the senses are, are really important as part of that retail experience. Absolutely. What are what are some of your uh, thoughts on it? I know this is you know all conceptual, but 
thoughts on the future of brick and mortar retail specifically over the next few years? Look, I think we're seeing a shrink in number of outlets. I think that that will continue to happen. I think people will be thinking about their quote unquote network strategy differently. They're going to need to think about how many stores do I need? Where are my distribution centers located? How do I think about the balance of delivery versus bricks and mortar? There's going to be a rebalancing there. People are social creatures. There will still be a mall. There will still be experiences. You just need to kind of think differently about what the role of bricks and mortar is as part of that ecosystem. And I think you need to think about, you know, what is your customer looking for in that physical experience? Part of it today is the experience that you're creating there. It's like, whether it's events or whether, you know, it is trial with, you know, apparel, putting something on before buying, there's a bunch of things that are packed up in there. And I think it's important to define that more crisply. And I think the other thing that's going to be the future of bricks and mortar is there will always be some element of fulfillment that happens there. And I think that's going to be, you know, maybe a bit of a shift for malls too, because curbside pickup, not every store in a mall is set up for that. And I think we're going to need to think through, you know, is that going to be something that impacts um, moving forward? That's been a wealth of information, Sandra. Any any last thoughts of, you know, questions that I didn't uh, end up asking you that you think are important for retailers to, to be thinking about? Yeah, the only thing that I'd say is this is something that we tell our clients all the time. I, I think you touched upon it. You know, this has been a really hard year. There's been a lot of hard choices that retailers have had to make about their business, about, you know, furloughing staff, closures, safety. There's a lot that's been thrown at them. I think one of the key takeaways is that organizations have had to be super nimble and don't let that go to waste. And don't think that when you're getting to 2021, it's going back to normal. Think of baking this into your DNA for your organization. Think of making this continual innovation, continual progress, continual nimbleness, because I think that that's, we're going to see kind of this acceleration continue. And I just, I think you need to embrace it and kind of look at it in a positive light and say, look, the one thing that this has taught us is like, all of a sudden we've figured out a bunch of stuff that would have taken us months and we figured it out. And let's keep that spirit of that can-do attitude and that energy behind all of this. And let's just keep it moving. Yeah, absolutely. That acceleration of innovation as well. I think it's that's key, uh, what you said. So great. That, that's a wealth of information. Again, thank you. Before I let you go, what are some fun spots in Ontario that you'd recommend people to visit if they're ever in the area? Uh, that you can actually go to. Uh, yes. Toronto <laughs> 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 is known for um, its restaurant scene. I would be remiss to not shout out the restaurant. The food scene in Toronto is incredible. We have an incredibly diverse multicultural city, and there's a lot of great places to try, and uh, I really want to support them. I think the other thing that's just you know really interesting to see, everybody's flocked to northern Ontario, which tends to be cottage country, and so if you have an opportunity to kind of go out into the wilderness. It's a really great, uh, beautiful, relaxing spot to be in. That's awesome, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you for that. And again, thank you for taking the time. I know you're really busy. Thanks for taking the time and giving expertise. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com. 